my friends, and welcome to the future and to episode 9 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other bipedal carbon-based lifeforms as masterpieces. I am joined tonight, as ever, by the redoubtable Roger. Oh! And by extra special guest and friend of the podcast, Shauna. Hey, thanks so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, last uh, episode, we examined the bleak kitchen sink family abandonment drama Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And in tonight's atomic episode, we're going to be cranking the theremin all the way up to 11 and delving into some classic 50s science fiction. Uh, so this is one of our semi-regular reflective episodes where we delve into the annals of movie history to look for films which had an influence on or at least throw an interesting counterpoint to a film we've already discussed on a previous episode and actually for this episode we watched two films and indeed one masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) well the the obvious question i think raised by close encounters is well you know they've why don't they just land in washington and say we want to talk with the governments well, in this film they do. Well, there we are. Which films are we talking about? Sean, which films did we watch for this episode? We watched The Day the Earth Stood Still. The uh, 1950s version. The 1951 version, yeah. And Plan 9 from Outer Space. <gasps> classic. Um, well, come on. <laughs> it's, a cl- it's a classic, for sure. It is certainly... Um, well, we'll discuss whether... It's, we'll... at, it's at the time of, of some movie lists. It is. It's certainly, yeah. it's certainly much talked about. Um, I, I'll admit I'm probably kinder to it than most people, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. It's hard to be cruel to So, it. the day the earth stood still. Yes. Uh, so this, as Shauna said, 51 film directed by, um, Robert Wise, who was a director of a number of other films that I was, that I knew about that I was surprised about. Later on in his career, he'd done The Andromeda Strain. He also did Sound of Music, um, and he uh, directed, uh, oh, I've forgotten the other one that I, I had written down, but there was one that I knew as well. Um, but it, uh, it is a right at the start of the Cold War classic 50s atomic horror film, except it has a slightly different take on the space commies that we used to see in in the old atomic horror. What What do we mean by atomic horror? Do we want to talk about that first? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, arguably, of course, that's H.P. Lovecraft, but that's a, that's a very silly argument, so I won't make it. Uh, we are I, talking I, about... I, th- I think it's basically the dislocation, you know, all of a sudden we could all go foom like that. Mm. This is a disconcerting thing, so, so you make horror that is inspired by that. Yeah, hydrogen bomb fear, um, commies are out together, it's very much um, American... Kind of suburban, uh, and quite often white guys, scientists who use science exclamation mark to do their, to do their work. Um, and yeah, often full of invade, invading bug-eyed monsters. Um, uh, the first, actually, uh, on a slight segue, first atomic horror film I think I ever saw was them exclamation mark, which is about giant ants in, probably in California. Well, they were being fair, I think, at this point, most of the most of the silly science fiction films haven't happened. Um, Aww, I mean, the, the the year before this, we have Destination Moon, which is the absolutely serious. This is what we think a trip to the moon could actually be like. We've got the best available 
information on this. And it is, of course, beaten to the release date by, by a matter of weeks by Rocket Ships XM, which <laughs> isn't. Um, but you know, I mean, 1929 Mond, um, 31 Frankenstein, you could argue certainly the 36 things to come are all in this serious, you know, we, we, we can be, we're not saying this is going to happen, but these are the sort of questions we think we might have to deal with. I was looking, I was just Googling actually, the release date of It, The Terror from Beyond Space, which is a film I was trying to remember about five podcasts ago <laughs> as the original inspiration for the film Alien, um, which I recommend you watch. It's awful. Um, but that is, wow. <laughs> it's much later. <laughs> much later. So actually, 50, it's, it's actually quite an early atomic horror film. I'll do a quick synopsis of it. Um, uh, which Roger has already done, basically, alien or an alien spaceship lands, um, much to the cries of holy mackerel and holy Christmas to the, um, I love that. That was a great exclamation. That's, really <laughs> That's going to feed into a theory of mine later as well. Um, uh, and an alien spaceship lands on the, in, I don't know what park it is in Washington. Looks like a park or a baseball park or something. Um, and, uh, uh, a besuited human uh, steps out, says we come in peace and is immediately shot <laughs> by a soldier. To be fair, he does look like he's extracting some kind of peculiar spiky sex toy from his uh, pocket. To me, at least. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I'll just carry on with the synopsis. Shall I? Um, I make he, he escapes from the high security hospital via the window <laughs> um, <laughs> and lives amongst the uh, the humans under the not-at-all messianic name of uh, John Carpenter, or whatever. Was it John Carpenter? It's certainly oh Carpenter, yeah. Mr. Wow. Carpenter, for sure. I've distracted myself, I think, about John Carpenter. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, JC initials. Um, <laughs> uh, subtle hint. Um, uh, he, uh, they, the aliens demonstrate their power by turning off all electricity in the world. They call a group of scientists to discuss it. Um, uh, the military, understandably upset by the whole electricity thing, and kill Klaatu, um, uh, much to the annoyance of his giant death robot, Gort, who picks him up, resurrects him. Nothing at all suspicious about that. Um, and um, he pops out to tell us all that he lives under a kind of weird authoritarian socialism uh, system where giant killer robots will kill anyone who steps out of line and he thinks we should all do that too or he's going to kill us all. So a lovely peaceful message <laughs> for a change for a science fiction film. It is different for the inv- from the invaders from Mars. It is um, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a different take on science fiction. Um, to what we'd seen before. Well, it, it goes in several different directions. Um, one of them is, you know, humanity's got to grow up a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, bad things going to happen, which was obviously, yeah, you're straight. We're, we're scared of the bomb thing. Um, but, but also, I, I find it quite subversive because it, it, Am I unreasonable to say this is an argument for something like a United Nations and, you know, America's got a knuckle under, same as everybody else? Earth has got a knuckle under? Um, so, certainly when... All right, let, let, let's get into the characters a little, but um, Helen... Helen... What's her name? Oh, the the uh, she was played by Patricia Neal. Yeah. Who's a fascinating story. I was looking into her. Um, for the, she married Roald Dahl in the end, um, mm. didn't she? Um, but Helen... Yeah. Uh, person. Uh, so, yeah, she, she, she is at 
She she is a widow. It is implied war widowed. I don't think it's ever explicitly stated because let's face it, in 1951 it doesn't have to be. Um, I think little Bobby says, "Daddy died in the war" or mm, something. And they go, yeah, 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 true. Um, so she she she's in the same boarding house uh, that that Klaatu ends up in, and her okay. She she has a would be fiance. Let's let's just say. Boo his. Well, that's mm. that's kind of my point. He is explicitly painted as the villain. Not because she is falling in love with Glatu, but mm. simply because he, he is, he is, he has the line, I don't care about the rest of the world, you know, I just, I, I want to do the right thing for America. Mm. Well, it's sort so, of implied, so, it's not so much for America as for him. Well, yeah, but that, that still strikes me as a bit subversive given that the, the tension is between I want to do what I want and I got to do the right thing because somebody else tells me to. Mm-hmm. And, and he's definitely being put on the being placed as uh, his side of the argument is the wrong one. Yes, I, I mean at least a few times. There's a few times when Clarty's like, "I've no interest in the petty squabbles of your little word," because they are immediately uh, the people who he lands are immediately looking at it in terms of the Cold War and how it can be turned to the advantage to one side or the other. And Clarty's like, nah, "Not interested." Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to talk to you if you get all the governments. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I couldn't help being reminded of the arguments over the atomic bombing of Japan. Uh, not not the do we do it at all, but the one about do do we do a demonstration? You know, do do we say in advance evacuate this particular target and then we will set off a bomb on it? Which, which oh, was, was that was that, that, that was debate? that was one of the things that was proposed, and the the um, the reason that was didn't go for was a they would suspect some sort of trickery. B, they couldn't be a hundred percent sure it would actually work. Um, right. but also C, if, if they did that and then the Japanese didn't surrender, then the Japanese would not be surprised when the actual military use went off. So right. I, I, I think, I mean, it's not reiterating that argument, but, but I think there's that same sense of how, how do you try to send this message without mass slaughter? And is mass slaughter, in fact, the only thing these idiot humans can understand? Well, humans get called idiots a lot in these films, I must say. <laughs> that was one of them. Uh, uh, I have a lot of sympathy. <laughs> I'm not going to argue to you. Um, yeah, that was that. That was one of the, the, the main themes, I suppose, of Day the Earth Stood Still, was um, uh, you've got to work together and stop being so destructive. It was backed by a threat of, oh, we're going to kill you all, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Which, um <laughs> I suppose that was realistic rather than why can't we all just get along? Yeah, it was like it was like have peace or face obliteration as your your two choices there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I suppose does concentrate the mind so and it's pretty much the the choice Truman gave to the Japanese. <laughs> I I think one could argue that um it's it's not even peace necessarily. I mean it's it's the atomic weapons they're concerned about. I, uh, one gets the feeling they would be quite happy for humans to keep shooting each other by conventional, you know, good old fashioned means. Mm, yeah. You know, they, 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 these atomic them. bombs just take all the fun out of warfare. <laughs> you can't have a proper war when you're actually going to destroy the whole planet when you do it. It's not yeah, when somebody gets a single button, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's no, it's no fun anymore, is it? Um, yeah, so that was a, that was an interesting, uh, Point or wave of pro- I mean, you said there was no. It's an argument for the United Nations. The UN is mentioned a few times in 
the film. Uh, but they say he doesn't represent all nations of the earth, and it's, it's not enough for Klaatu mm. um, to be just the UN. Yeah. Would veto it anyway. one, one does wonder slightly why did he land in Washington rather than in, in New York for the UN? But yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, uh, that's a good question. I mean, this was based on a short. I looked into the short story that this was based on, mm. which was um, uh, written by Harry Bates, and it was called "The Fate of the Master." Farewell I mean, to the Master, I think. Farewell to the Master. It's a very different story mm. um, I mean it does start with M. Clarty walking down the street, uh, walking down the, his ramp and getting shot, uh, but in that one he gets shot and killed and the the, the whole story is about Gort who does weirdly get encased in plasticine not plasticine in, in plasticine. <laughs> plasticine would be less terrifying no, well, I wouldn't like to be the soldier who had to go and smack the plasticine onto Gort um <laughs> Uh, but he spends the whole um, story trying to reconstruct Clato from a kind of corrupt audio file, mm. as far as I can tell. Um, and then the, the the zinger at the end is that um, the main character, who's I think they're a, a journalist, says, "Oh, well, I'm really sorry um, about what we did to your master." And then Gort says, "Who said he was the master?" <laughs> Exclamation mark. <That's> <laughs> Yeah, it but, may have been better told in the story. <laughs> well, also, you know, late thirties, early forties SF, what, what did have a lot of the twist ending thing. That, mm. that it was designed to be an expendable literature. So uh, this is a, this so is th- this has got some of that, that, but it's it's. I mean, it's yes, we can say that that Gort is in charge in some sense, but clearly there is some degree of um, Clarty's influence there. Yeah, he does seem mostly subservient to Clarty. In the film, um, oh, sorry, I sidetracked you from talking about Helen as an interesting. I thought it was an interesting fifties female character in that she was a relatively strong woman. She does get a scream in. I mean, <laughs> I would have screamed if Court was approaching me too. But she seems like a relatively strong, open-minded, intelligent, and sort of uh, driven. She, you know, she drives the plot forward in a number of places. Hmm. She works out what's going on and decides that, yeah, this is this, this is what needs to be done. Yeah, and so I, I thought she was. I don't know. Is that unique in in fifties science fiction? Which I feel it's it, unusual, it, at least. Yeah, mm, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's often like fifties. I don't know. Fifties films are probably a bit ahead of. Oh, I, I want to get into one of my problems with uh, the day the earth stood still. I mean, very good. <laughs> But to me, it felt kind of cold. It reminded me of reading Isaac Asimov in that <laughs> it's a fascinating science fiction, co- fiction concept. It's sort of realistically told from the science, but the characters to me just feel like ciphers and plot deliverers and not warm or interesting to me. Hmm. Was that what, what did you guys feel about that? Is that, am I being, unfair on 50s film or is that how it felt I'm trying to think of uh, of other 50s films and whether or not I felt emotionally attached or connected to the characters I think I mean in this in this film particularly it was more about an expression of ideas than it was about the journey of individuals yes and I, I felt that I felt the plot was more important than the characters yeah yeah so I yeah, I wasn't really rooting for anyone necessarily on emotional level, just sort of like 
waiting to see which idea would come next. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Well, that, that's how, yeah, that mm. was, I, I didn't feel emotional. Like when Klaatu gets shot, I wasn't, I was just, oh yeah, that's a setback. But it didn't feel like, <laughs> oh no, a crikey. Um, yeah, I, I was unmoved and I feel, to me, I've seen 50s films that do, like, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Double Indemnity. I mean, I'm oh, sure. more yeah, my yeah. favourite films. That, you know, they're well developed. <laughs> Citizen Kane. They, these are all f- films with well developed characters and dialogue that you root for. And this was, it, it felt a bit sterile to me in that sense. There was the odd comedic moment, but it was, uh, it, it left me unmoved. Um, well, I have a working model that film lacks, uh, lags written story by about a generation. Right. Basically, you know, you, you read, you read a story as a kid and think, this is the sort of thing I want to make a film of. Then you have to grow up and get senior enough that you you actually get to make the film like that. Um, wow. So, Roger, if that was true, now we'd be absolutely flooded with superhero films. Oh. <laughs> um, but, so, when I, when I say, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, written SF, yes. uh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm effectively talking about the, the, this sort of period of film as well. And I, I think that, there's still a feeling of we're doing something new and amazing and, you know, we've got spaceships. So mm. what, what, and of course there's the pop tradition as well where, you know, you really don't need characters beyond the basics anyway. And I think you, you've got all those things point going together to say, we've got this fascinating thing. It's a different genre. We don't really need to worry about that mushy drama stuff. Yes, it was a, sort of a macro drama, or it's not quite a melodrama, is it? I, I'm just thinking of I Love Stapleton's Last and First Men, which has about three named characters in it. <laughs> in, in, you know, the entire future history of humanity. <laughs> oh, okay. So, for me, uh, I don't know, it does have an annoying child character as well. Bobby is there. Uh, it's all G you you thought it was, American. you thought he was annoying. It wasn't, I, well, I, I've, I've heard worse. <laughs> I I don't know. Perhaps he was so. Um... Oh no! Now I feel bad. I'm sorry, Bobby. Well, I've seen the remake. <laughs> I won't talk much about the remake. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but he's a lot less bad than that. I would not have been surprised if Bobby said "G Willikers" at any point. I don't think he did, but in my head, he's, he's the <laughs> kind of character that that would. Uh, I one of my favourite moments that would not have been funny at the time, but. Is, I had I had to pause for a few minutes. Uh, you you've got the two doctors talking about the amazing health this guy's in. Their, their medicine is much more advanced. Have a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> How can he have such a long life expectancy? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a nice moment. But uh, presumably not part of their design. I mean, in in the 1950s, you know who you know who says cigarettes are bad for you? Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, fair point. But I think just looked at it as just as a, as a film in general, rather than the specific ideas, it, it does fair old bowl along. It, you, yes, it wastes very little time in the, in the setup, and you know, twenty minutes in, he he's landed, he's been shot, he's been captured, he's escaped again. Things are happening. Oh yeah, it's not a slow film, is it at all? It's uh, it, it does um, considering it is um, uh, it's not very special effects heavy. It's not really big events. A lot of it is small. Well, I don't know. It is big events. The whole of electricity turns off. I suppose that's quite big. Um, but yeah. it does. Yeah, it, it, the plot 
bowls along. I think that's a good way. Well, I, I think the effects are very carefully done. I mean, they never they never overreach what could be achieved. Um, they, but for example, we're what, looking at you, Plan Nine. <laughs> <laughs> As the sorcerer is landing, you get that circular shadow moving across the ground to meet it. For example, I mean, presumably, you know, miniature shot of the thing, but that's actually in there. Wow, I didn't um, even the fact that I didn't notice that is probably a good. Uh, when when the various military hardware is dis- is getting disintegrated, I have oh, cert- yeah. I have certainly seen um, cheap and nastier films which would show you, you know, uh, there is a zap, there is the red outline of the field gun or whatever, and then it vanishes. And and this is just by showing a little bit less, much more effective at suggesting, yeah, maybe it has turned to dust. Yeah, you just, uh, I, it looked like it was a hand-drawn, and oh, I don't want to get too into it, it looked like a hand-drawn animation of it sort of melting to the ground, it was, um, it was nice. On the other hand, then, then they do the back-projected cemetery, because presumably they couldn't film there, and that just throws me immediately out of it. I, I, I'm sensitised to that kind of back-projection. Yeah, maybe you, maybe that was just more accepted uh, back in the, the day. The, the other thing I, I started noticing after a bit is every time Gort has to do something, other than you know, just stand and look menacing, they they cut away from the actual action. Like when, when he's picking up Helen, or when he's knocking out the guards, you 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 see he's moving up, he's raising his arms. We we cut to Helen looking and being shocked. Then then you go back to him and he's got the guards on the ground. Because Lock, Lock part... Martin was very limited by what he could do in that costume. Yeah, so. he, was, he kept he fainting. Couldn't see. In it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He couldn't see exactly well. When his visor was shut, he couldn't see it. But apparently they had to only film him for 30 minutes at a time or he would faint, mm-hmm. which would somewhat take away from the menace of Gorch with yours. <laughs> um, yes, what about, we haven't talked about Klaatu slash, um, geez, uh, sorry, um, you, Carpenter. Yeah. I, I would like to point out the temporary resurrection was a sop to Joseph Breen. That wasn't in the original script. Yes, so I read this. That well, uh, there were not only that. That when he gets resurrected, the MPA or the Hayes Code, as I like to say, um, much to Roger's upset, um, imposed upon them the line where he says, "Only the uh, uh, Almighty Spirit has power over life and death." So they, that was added into the film specifically at the request of the Motion Picture Authority. Oh, really? Mm. So that was interesting because that huh. I must admit that took me out of it a bit. Um, it was like, yeah. well, oh, they have a god too. But, alright, Klaatu is a man who descends from the sky to cries of, holy Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> he brings a message of peace and goodwill and is immediately murdered. Go, goes to live among men. Goes to live among men, is murdered and is brought back from the dead and ascends to the heavens. And he's called Mr. Carpenter, initials JC. Brought back from the dead, and then a little time later ascends to the heavens. (laughs) Am I... I mean, I'm not one for allegory. Allegory? Nobody's one for... Yes, thank you. Nobody's one for allegory. Well, oh, God, no, I think it's like an observatory observatory thing. No, it's (laughs) it's a sort of carnivorous lizard. Oh, yes, you're all right. I'm not normally one for carnivorous lizards, but I felt there was a carnivorous lizard in the room here. Was that deliberate? I'm sure it was. No, it had to be. It had to be. be. I I think by the standards of the day, it was unexpected. Because, I mean, as we've seen, there there was so so much... It was the churches who were mostly driving the censorship, and they were very sensitive about anything that might seem to get into their line of business. So, I think people weren't expecting it and then might well have come along at the end and then said, you know, looked at the points as you just have and said, oh, right, yeah, 
rather right. than finding it okay. obvious at the time. I, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, but. Well, I suppose it brings me in one of my problems with allegory as well, in that it, uh, uh, is it allegory? Did I say that? I, right? I, I don't know. Allegory. What? Oh, my goodness. I, it... One of the problems with carnivorous lizards is <laughs> that, I don't know, I don't, I'm not really sure what the point of them is. I mean, I mean, it's not like a moral. We're not supposed to learn anything from it. It, it just seems to be like, oh, this is a bit like the other thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's also not trying I, to say Christ was a spaceman. Um, <laughs> no, Christa Berg said that, obviously. But um, I, I, I think the, in, insofar as it makes sense at all, and I'm, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a great idea. It's saying the, this is this is a pattern. You know, the, this this is how when somebody who has vastly more um, ethical maturity than you comes to right. talk to you, this is the way it's going to go. Maybe. Okay. Yes, I, that's a good way. Of now you know it. what's fascinating about this. The yes. director claims it was purely unintentional. But, yeah, I had, I had, well, is it though? I mean, it first struck me when he goes into the house and says, I am Mr. Carpenter. And I, I don't know, at that point, I, I was looking out for it, so I don't know if I, but I just... Well, I in, in the context of the film, that is explained because it's the name on the luggage he stole. Well, but, yeah, yeah, but he that, could... that's just moving the responsibility to the director. It is, he yeah. could have I mean, stolen Mr. Williams' luggage, but he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Captain Herod's or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's a bit too soon. Um, so, um, oh, I've discombobulated myself then with some blasphemy. Um, all right, so, uh, well, what did you do? What were, your, were both your gut reactions to the film? Did you, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the story? It, it, hmm. it told. I particularly liked the the start of it. I mean, I'm not not. Yeah, I enjoyed the rest of the film as well. But I I thought the the very grounded start of you know here here are the control rooms, the military people, real news announcers. They were all real. That was announcers. one thing I was going to ask. Is that the equivalent of us having like I don't know. I, I don't I, think there is an equivalent figure now. No, I was but, just going to say, but it's like maybe having I don't know. Walter Cronkite, for instance, the only a few years later, reason. it would have been Walter Cronkite. Yeah, it would be like him. Yes, very, very much so. And okay, you know, so... here, here are real locations, real streets, uh, real police cars and tanks and stuff that you know a lot of the audience would have recognised as this is just the way these things work. Mm. Um, and so it's it's grounding it in a way that I think science fiction wasn't expected to be grounded. You know, the whole you know, Ray Grun zap zap other planets. Yeah angle on it so yeah that 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 says this is a serious science fiction thing right so ground the grounding in reality mm. worked for you okay and uh, that that you... set me up in, in a positive mood for the rest of it um yes? and I, th- I thought the whole thing i mean yes obviously you, you can't say that, that it, it absolutely fits together but it, it is telling a cohesive story um mm-hmm. all right i'm I'm a sysadmin. I, I know what happens when you suddenly turn the power back on when you didn't have a proper shutdown. <laughs> it's, it's not pretty. Oh my god. I'm th- 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 wrestling with my printer earlier today. Think of the steel furnaces alone. Uh, I thought it was a bit, uh, I, I suppose my first reaction was great. That's great for the people all flying through the air, but they did deliberately address that. But yeah, it's not, um, 
Mm-hmm. How about you, Shauna? What was your kind of visceral response to the film? Well, I mean, I guess that's that's my whole point. I didn't really have a visceral response to it. Right. Um, I I I enjoyed the story, and I didn't, you know, I didn't find myself wandering or anything. But I uh, uh, was not emotionally stirred. Mm. I guess Me my too. point. I, I think that's that fair. Is... I, I enjoyed it, but I I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, maybe they had a point. Oh, my God. I, I was enjoying what's it purely happen, as a work of fiction. What's going to happen to Gort, you know? Yeah, we weren't. We, <laughs> <laughs> poor Gort. All of, we weren't grip, gripped, yeah. as, uh, as we say. Yeah, did we? And, and we never found out what happened to Bobby, right? No, Bobby mm. just disappears off the film. Presumably he nips off uh, to sell those diamonds and become the richest kid in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just hands them over to Baddy Tom. I I, uh, I agree with well I agree with with, with you Sean more than anything it was I don't know if that is I don't know I'm a spoiled film goer and um, <laughs> I just that uh, films of that era don't move me but I just I keep going back to some of my favourite films ever which do um, uh, and from that era which I won't go through them again just, anyway, yeah well see, see some previous episodes yes. So it left me, again, that would be my summary, like reading Asimov, um, intellectually fascinating, but a little, yeah. a little cold. I, I that's, did... that's mean, I, I suppose. <laughs> I did try to get myself into something of a period mindset in, in as much as I can, because I always do with an, an, an older film. And so possibly that's why it worked a bit better for me, but I, 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 I won't say any of your criticisms are invalid. Um, yeah, I I mean, I think I was, I was so... Um stuck on the the allegedly unintentional christian allegory that i that i <laughs> kept i i found i was watching it like uh, more like with an investigative interest like oh you know what what more mm-hmm. parallels are are here you know like when they introduced yes. helen i was like oh who's helen in the christian the christian story or whatever you know um not so much like what's going to happen with helen and bobby or what's going to happen you know like yeah, it was, and I, I, tell, I am capable of enjoying plot-driven stories that don't have. I mean, I like H.P. Lovecraft. You know, they have no discernible characters whatsoever. <laughs> but the, I, I find the ideas in them so interesting that I do love the stories. Um, uh, normal racism disclaimer applies to H.P. Lovecraft. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It was intellectually interesting. I don't know if maybe. Uh, because, and, and maybe this is one of those films that is a victim of its own success, because it was so ultimately influential down the line for science fiction that I feel like the ideas weren't that new, even though they were then. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, they're well trodden. Yeah. I've met people who've read lots and lots of fantasy and have then read Tolkien, for example, and, and yeah, they, it, this all seems terribly derivative because it's the same old stuff. <laughs> Well, I suppose to compare and contrast it to Close Encounters, um, <laughs> uh, where I actively disliked the main character in it, um, uh, and I there was not, you know, Close Encounters doesn't have much of a story to speak of. It doesn't really explain what's going on, but still, Spielberg got me the bastards. With you know, he just um, well, that that was his genius. I mean, arguably, still is. I haven't seen any of his recent stuff, but but he he could grab you by the feels. He did, and, and there's a moment I talked about it in the last episode. But when when he steps onto the spaceship and looks back, I just felt a 
huge unwanted blast of nostalgia and desperate yearning to be going on that spaceship <laughs> that it moved me emotionally in a way that I never was with um mm. with the day the earth stood still I don't know if that makes it a better film but it made it a film I in fact I'd probably rather watch the day the earth stood still again than close encounters no, I, no, I don't know what that <laughs> means. maybe the last I'm 10 minutes of close encounters uh, maybe the last 10 minutes <laughs> Oh, I have. Um, incidentally, the film that I was forgetting, because I thought it was important that Robert Wise directed, interestingly, it was the first Star Trek motion picture, the <laughs> famously talky and fairly boring uh, Star Trek film that no one really liked until they made The Wrath of Khan, which is much better. Well, it's, it's, it, it, it has that, that one very polarising sequence of, what is it, three minutes of fly around the spaceship? Oh, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. And th- that... that that's either that that will tell you whether you're a fan or not, <laughs> whether you like two thousand and one or not. Um, yeah, well, which I don't. Spoiler. Well, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, Kubrick. Well. Doom. Uh, well, t- <laughs> um, talking about this being influential. Yeah, the... well, that was one of our marks of a masterpiece, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, and uh, and our other film is something on which it clearly was influential. <laughs> yes, should we segue? We can come back if we have any. Do you have anything yeah. else you want to say about The Day the Earth Stood Still? No, Shana? thank you. Well, let's move on to the... Not the first, not the second, not the third through eighth <laughs> plans from outer space, but in fact the ninth plan from outer space. Wow. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. that's good. And that tortuous introduction will give you some idea of the level of dialogue. <laughs> oh my God! Well <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's bear in mind the the amazing Criswell start, started doing that thing. Um, he he was buying time on a on a local LA TV station to run um, basically commercials for Criswell Family Vitamins. And and he so started. That's how he started. This is the guy who opened the greetings, friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 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 to fill in the time between saying you should buy my vitamins, he would start doing the Criswell predicts. Can I give you some of Criswell's genuine predictions? Absolutely. He predicted mass cannibalism by 1999. <laughs> he predicted the <clears throat> end of the Earth on August the 18th, 1999. May West to become president, and a he, he was a friend of hers. He was a beam. <laughs> he was a friend of us. A beam of space, um, which would hit Denver, Colorado, and transform all the uh, abilities of metal into rubber and cause tragic accidents at theme parks. Which is a, a weirdly specific it's prediction. Extraordinarily specific. Didn't, didn't come. To uh, maybe, maybe that's an allegory for something. Maybe that. Maybe he, he was saying something with that. And that is the opening <laughs> two moments of the. <laughs> Goodness me. Edward directed Plan 9 from Outer Space, originally um, called Grave Diggers, Grave Robbers, not Grave Diggers, I keep making that mistake. <laughs> Grave <laughs> Robbers from Outer Space. Uh, I, I, I've got well, if you're going to rob a grave, you have to dig. I don't know, though, I was talking about this before, but the Grave Robbers from Outer Space sounds more exciting. Grave Diggers is just a job that you do in space. But, <laughs> anyway. Um, we have a few moments of Bella Lugosi, um, used quite a lot. Um, and then I'm not even going to attempt to summarise the plot. I mean, oh, <laughs> I was well, really I, I, I think I can in, I, I think okay, I can okay, with, okay, with some fairness. I mean, okay. what, what is actually going on is, is that the, the, uh, flying saucer has come, come to tell us, um, don't, don't develop this, this extremely dangerous weapon which will destroy all life in, in the universe. In yes. order to do this, that their plan is, is to take over the earth because, you know, obviously. 
Um, Which is not dissimilar to destroying the Earth. And, and the, the way they're planning to do this is by, by resurrecting the dead, because the, this is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a terror weapon. Yeah. <laughs> there must be a moment when Eros and the his un- Eros. How did they played I mean, by first, Dudley Manlove? Uh, oh, thank you, Roger. <laughs> oh my I, God, I you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, stay sure and it's not just me. wow, wow. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, and this, I don't get credit for this. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld said this, but I think it's important to note that this was not Plan One through Eight. This was Plan Nine. This mm-hmm. is the plan that worked. This is the one they went with and wrote a movie about. Uh, yeah, I mean, what the first eight plans are, I don't know. It was, yeah. The, we have no choice but to resurrect the dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's a working draft, but they went through with it. <laughs> That's where it slightly differs from the realism of the Daily <laughs> <laughs> We tried, I swear, we tried everything else. Killer bees, that was number seven. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, we, we've got to do the swarm one of these years. But not, oh, not today. Is not in a masterpiece podcast, good one. <laughs> Part of the reason I agreed to Plan 9 is because, by some arguments, mm. it is a masterpiece because it is... Oh, you know, you talk about films that are so bad they're good, and this is the quintessential. It is so unintentionally fun to watch. I mean, genuinely, I enjoyed it more than The Day the Earth Stood Still because it's just so <laughs> so bad and so tortured. There, there are moments in it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we'd I guess we'd have to ask what Edward's intentions were with the film, right? Like, if he intended to to change the world's belief system, okay, well, utter failure, right? But <laughs> if he if he sought out to entertain his audience, I think he achieved it. Well, we have we discussed I'm... this before. You know, there is a difference between a sort of a, a masterpiece and a film that you enjoy to watch. And come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, who here is going to admit that they didn't enjoy Plan Nine more than the day the Earth Roger, come on, did you enjoy it more? The, the the enjoyment is in such different directions; it's hard to compare <laughs> magnitude. <laughs> well, you should be a politician. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> You you, um, you say that being safely several hundred miles away. Uh, yeah, sorry. But has, I mean, the, yes. the the chutzpah here. I mean, he's he's obviously starting with the basic: the aliens are coming to tell us to change our ways, and then he combines that with the Walking Dead. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if he had some <laughs> leftover footage from one of his mates in a vampire costume and needed to crowbar that into a science fiction. Well, no, it, stop it. It's it's kind of. It's a bit nicer than that. I mean, he, he, basically, he, he went and found Lugosi, who, who had been, um, basically p- picked up for sciatic neuritis, and they gradually got him onto morphine and when it was invented, methadone, and he was in a very bad way. And he, wow. you know, the parts gradually dried up, and, and so on. And Edward found him, you know, saying, uh, came along saying, I, I really love your stuff. What could we, what could we do? Cause, you know, mainstream Hollywood had just said, oh, well, that guy, he's going to get drugged to not turn up on set. Um, a previous, I can't remember. He, he I think it was Bride of the Monster, uh, which is another Edward film, uh, with, with Lugosi in it. Um, the, the earnings from the premiere went to pay for Lugosi to dry out. Really? So I had read some sources that some people considered Edward 
to be exploitative of Lugosi in his fragile state. But a lot of sources said, no, that's not true. Well, he, he, he wasn't paying the man as much as he'd been paid in his prime. He was paying him more than anybody else would. Yeah, so that's, well, that story. Uh, and so, so this is the, the, the bits of film we have were after he got clean. Um, he had various, they had various projects in embryo. I mean, they weren't get, getting to the points of actual scripts. Um, but yeah, the, the, one of the titles was The Ghoul Goes West. Uh, and that's about all that's known about that project. But, but. I'm really sad that never came to fruition. Yeah. I, I just, I but, have to mention one of, um, Edward's later films, which was <laughs> Orgy of the Dead, which had a, um, which was named in some countries Nude Ghoulies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I um, but basically oh, well. what, what he had when Lugosi died was the footage that had been done speculatively. As in, we, we might be able to use this in, in The Ghoul Goes West. Uh, we don't know really. We'll try to work something around it. And, yeah. and so, one of the things he really wanted to do was, was, was showcase, you know, this is the last Lugosi footage ever. Um, was that a marketing tip? Was it, did he use it as like last Lugosi film ever? It doesn't seem to have been in the contemporary marketing. Okay. okay. Um, so I, like I, th- I think see... it was just, he, he really, he really admired the guy's work. And uh, yeah, okay, we didn't see him at his best, but. Well, mostly but we didn't see him at all. He, he <laughs> used he used every bit of footage he had, you know, all, all the the dodgy cuts and everything. I was going to say sometimes more than once. And then I, famously, you know his wife's chiropractor filled in for the uh, other scenes they hadn't shot yet. <laughs> Cleverly covering half his face so we wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. It, it's imperceptible, isn't it? The fact that he's about half a foot taller <laughs> and got clearly dyed grey hair is otherwise uh, neither here nor there. Um, Shawnee, you were saying that the, the circular statements were a particular favourite of yours. What, what some examples? Oh my of that? god! Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I mean, a favourite of mine. I wrote some down. The, yeah, um, please. In, was it Inspector Clay is dead, murdered, and someone is responsible? <laughs> I mean, that is. Mm-hmm. I was going to say you couldn't write dialogue like that, but you, you can. Yeah, the, the, there are the, the guy who gives that line, the lieutenant, uh, played by Duke Moore. Um, if, if you know your firearms at all, you will notice he, he is not complying with, with any reasonable firearm safety drills. I did notice that he does um, straighten his hat, point mm-hmm. at people <laughs> with his finger in the trigger guard of a presumably a loaded gun, which is it, not. Um... It, it is not confirmed, but it is strongly suggested that. But by by some point, he was trying to find out what it would take to make Edward say, "No, that's a bad take. Reshoot it." Oh, really? Was he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I read and, that and too. He, that he, he was and challenge, he apparently never, challenging never achieved this. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say about Plan Nine. It's, it's it, got it, heart. I mean, it's it's got the budget of probably one of Patricia Neal's costumes from Day the Earth Stood Still, and it's got. Not particularly good script, not particularly great actors or production values, but it's got heart. It's, you could, I don't know, I, I see us, I don't know, perhaps somebody with a more professional background should, should say this, but I, I see a sort of theatrical connection. You, you could do a, a science fiction play with essentially a black set and then you rely on the audience's imagination and then the actors, you know, guiding that. And I, and I think that when, when you get into this level of low budget, there, there's a certain suggestive, sorry, that, that's not the right word, but you, you, 
you show a thing on the screen and the audience fills it in as, yes, okay, I understand that that's a spaceship. With, without, without it looking exactly like a spaceship. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel there's better ways of suggesting rather than overtly showing something that looks a bit crap. You're better not quite showing something that looks mm. a bit crap. I, I, I mean, I don't. Well, I, I, as we said with, with, when we were talking about Jaws, the, the for, forcing the shark to be off screen a lot more of the time was a, was a great benefit to the film. I mean, the, the, the budget was really, uh, to me, the, I don't know why I can't get over it, but when they're on the plane, you know, despite the fact it's clearly not a cockpit, <laughs> uh, um, and you see the boom mic in some cuts of the film, um, the, the, the joysticks that they're holding are clearly just semicircles of wood nailed to a, a plane, and they are mm-hmm. just, woof, I don't know. Well, that, that, that's over. what I was thinking. If, if, if you had, Again, if if you had a minimal prop stage production, you might do something like that. Is there a style of filmmaking which, where basically you do that? You just, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but there is where you just kind of say, "This square here is the lounge, so we're just going to be in this." Oh, some of the the dogma stuff, dogma, dogma, something like that. Yeah, it feels like Plan Nine is is halfway there, but then actually tries to show how about that costume design. Come on! Um, oh my God! The, the, oh, there is the, <laughs> hey, have you got a costume? Bring it to the set. Except there's the chief guy who reminds me very much of—is he called Hedonism Bot? In uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just so he is, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> plan Nine. I can't do it. I can't do him justice. He was my favourite character in the whole film, but he was just so weary of these idiots. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think he's just—he's just credited as ruler. Ruler. That, well, that's not a bit. Yeah. I mean, never, never title in rulers are pretty good. But what? What was he wearing? It had like a, a halberd on the front. It was clearly like a medieval. Man at Arms tabard or something. That just, <laughs> oh my god, it was, it was so good. It was wonderful. Head, head, head to toe, like medieval. Exactly. We, we have, we have theme parks here called Medieval Times. It's just a screaming of the actually, same. It was um, just like he'd come off ilk. now and they'd yeah. be like, oh, actually, you don't need to get into your costume. Just go in. Like don't that. get, yeah, 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 yeah. We're running late, please. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, we only have the studio till three o'clock. We just need to get going. <laughs> and I'd like to think of him going, oh, whatever. Oh, darling. Okay. Um, you, you will be amazed to learn that this was his only film role. That is a tragedy because he was a no he was a magnetic screen presence. He was like a space Noel coward. I loved him. I he, he, he I did, was just going to ask you. He did do a fair bit of theatre, I believe, uh, before and after. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you if you knew what else Bunny Breckenridge did. That was his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bunny Breckenridge. Yeah. Wow, I can't that make that a, up. Well. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he was also. Openly gay in the late fifties, or as openly gay as you could be, which was fairly. So, you know. uh, was he gay? I mean, I didn't pick up yes. on as much as his general world weariness. And, and no, no, the the actual the actual actor was. Well, I suppose that makes sense <laughs> in, in, in retrospect. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, short, shortly after this film was released, he, he got convicted for sex perversion, uh, oh. which is being but, gay. Basically, he yeah. was a pretty famous um, drag queen as well. Mm-hmm. Was he? He would have gotten well with mm-hmm. Edwards then. 
Did I got that? Like, Edward often filmed in. Not that this. I mean, this is pure in detail. Doesn't matter, does it? But we're we're unlikely to cover another Edward film, alas. Well, <laughs> the one thing I liked about Edward, he wrote. He had a big thing for Angora wool. He liked the feel of it against his skin. And when he was writing, <laughs> one of his pseudonyms <laughs> was Angora. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the level of subtlety. Um, and he also oh one God. of his other su- su- pseudonyms was Acton um, Telmig. Because uh, Actov Telmig, because one of his favourite drinks was a vodka gilmet, and it was just that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, vodka gilmet, bless him. Um, you see, he uh, died in poverty. Of course, it was a really uh, pretty tragic um, end to Edward. But he has given us Plan Nine from Outer Space. I mean, it is a hard film to say much more about. It. <laughs> Just um, amazing watch. Though, no, notice the contrast. Um, all, you, you get a lot more military stuff happening here than you do in the day the Earth stood still, because we have we have the magic of stock footage. Yeah, well, you say I a mean, lot more military stuff. In, in terms of screen time, and we, yeah, we, we've yeah. got that quite long sequence where where they uh, they're all firing at presumably the flying saucers. I mean, if you were. If you're in an un, 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 unkind mind, you might say interminably long. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, yeah, we, we, I, I don't think we can let the can of gasoline principle go unmentioned. Um, the film didn't, because it went on for about what felt... I mean, I don't know how a film that is one hour and 20 minutes long can drag. <laughs> but when he is torturously explained... Well, I, to me, I it felt it. like... <laughs> The torturous explanation of how you can blow up the entire... Oh, you can, oh, oh my God, when he's saying, um, you cannot measure an atom, and yet, we're, well, you can. <laughs> and sunlight, sunlight's made of any atoms. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's just, oh, it was it was beautiful in its... Um... And then, aside from all the science that he bombards our, our trio of... Uh, do you call them heroes? I don't know. Protagonists. Protagonists. I don't even know if you could call them that. A trio of men in a spaceship. Then he just proceeds to go, and then you're all idiots. Idiots. Stupid idiot. Just for some time. Oh, dear. Yeah, you know, one, one, well, one does feel he was possibly not the aliens' A team. <laughs> Tell, what, what are your feelings on celeb, celeb, celebdium? Solanium? Solanum? Solanium. That's a skin cream, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, well, wow. uh, I, I mean, this is a bomb big enough to blow up the entire universe, which the, the humans will eventually stumble upon. I can see why. I mean, you'd be given no other choice to put, to reanimate the dead, to to wander around a. Well, Plan George. One is probably build a big shell around the solar system. You know, that's expensive. Shauna, you're you're from California. Are there, are there a lot of um, mist-strewn, bog-like? Great misty theology. misty bogs yeah. just in the cemeteries yeah it's palm trees and sunshine everywhere else oh just in the oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 incredibly accurate well, and it's it's always night there that's the other vexing quality about our misty bog cemeteries daytime most of the time exactly. yeah oh, yeah okay yeah actually i was going to complain about the film for that but if that i mean that is actually realistic <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's it's why it looks like every um funeral they had was happening at midnight it's just it's just, just the, the bog it quality okay. yeah it's yeah. just the hollywood bogs yeah, it's uh, just off to the mountains. I, I've now seen Tor Dobson, <laughs> I, th- I think, three things, and as far as I can tell, he, he's basically always like that. So Tor Johnson was the the huge uh, ghoul mm-hmm. who looked Inspector Clay. 
I have a quote uh, from uh, an actress who worked with him. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say actress now. I'm so sorry, it's an actor. But an, a female actor that worked with him who uh, described him acting as him as like acting with a, like a big sugar bun. Which is nice to think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Genuinely nice man, Tor Johnson. Yeah. Despite him looking absolutely terrifying. And as for Vampira, I, I, I looked her up, because, uh, mm. yeah. She, she appears to have been not only the first horror hostess, but she w- uh, she was in negotiation with KHGTV, KHGTV to do a revival of the show. The negotiations fell through, and then by strange coincidence, they, they said, well, well, we'll cast somebody else. And, and that's where Elvira came from. Oh, oh my goodness! There's there a direct a direct line. Wow! So did she? Did Elvira get? Because I mean, certainly I got confused between the two. They're that close together. So was there some litigation went on? There, there, there was some strong disagreement, but I don't think anybody ever admitted anything. Goodness me! Wow. Do you know she? Um, she put on her makeup and costume at home. And then rode the bus to the studio. Oh my like god! That. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> Imagine. It was oh. probably better than whatever changing rooms could be provided. <laughs> oh, oh if god. only Tor Johnson had done the same, that would have been absolutely <laughs> fantastic. But um, so, yeah, she, I mean, in, in 1962, she was installing linoleum flooring for a living. Right. Oh, so that's a few years after there, oh dear. Okay. But yeah. Presumably not in full makeup. <laughs> the, the dialogue yeah. in this film is—I'm is, sorry, Chona. Oh no, no, yeah, I, I was just going to go back to the dialogue because you asked me about some of my favorite circular quotes that they yes, said, yes. and it's—I think it's just the one where they repeat things like contradictory, or they just repeat them for the sake of repeating them. <laughs> it's almost mm. like we have to add to the like, screen time. Yeah, like Paula says, I've never seen you in this mood before. And then Jeff says, I guess it's because I've never been in this mood before. <laughs> yes. You know, it's okay, like little bits that, like that. That's really added a lot to the... <laughs> there's another similar one where he's like, would you say it was a hot wind or a cold wind? Hmm. I would say it wasn't really like either wind. Right, okay, that was that was a worthwhile humor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that time's gone. We can't get it back. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. And the, why is there another bit where he's like, he's standing up, he's dead, he's dead, I tell you, he's standing up still. Yeah, okay, he could have stopped that. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's some beautiful, drawn out, torturous dialogue scenes. Um, wait, I, a fiend, I am a soldier of our planet. <laughs> I, a fiend, <laughs> oh we did oh not come God. here as enemies or something like that. It's like, what did you just, you yeah. just said that? Well, you know, the, the first four or five <laughs> syllables are just to make sure you should wake, you should be awake now and then. <laughs> oh my God. But then he's, so then this, this is my slate. It's like, okay, we got to, you're going to invent a bomb that will blow up the very sunlight. All right. I get that concept. And then now imagine the sun is a cast of gas. No, I've got, I've already got the idea. <laughs> um, now imagine that you pour gasoline. You know, right? No, okay, you can stop now, Eros. If that is your name, <laughs> I mean, why? Why would they pick Eros as a name for this man who I would say perhaps didn't embody the spirit of the god <laughs> of love? <laughs> and then, and then there are the tokens of wisdom, right? Like perhaps on your way home, someone will pass you in the dark, and you will never know it, for they will be from outer space. 
It's going to be semi-portentous. Oh, my God. That's something you can carry with you throughout your life. <laughs> that, is, that is very... I mean, I'm going to think of that always yeah. whenever I pass someone in the street. That's how I yeah. go about my day. Um, I would say perhaps the treatment of women... I was talking about the interesting, strong female character of Helen in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Not was- really... Lacking, here. bit lacking in this one, yeah. <laughs> bit lacking in this one. There's some, there's some screaming and some fainting going on. I, I, oh I would God. argue that Tanner is in some sort of codependent relationship with Eros. I yeah, mean, Tanner is the the female, she should, I, the female I, alien. Yeah, she should be in charge. Dash it all. I mean, she's she's the one who is actually vaguely competent, makes sensible think, suggestions. Yes, he just he invites them. I was that was why I was so offended by the gasoline scene because he's he gets like. I don't know, it felt like 20 minutes to explain how this bomb works. She stands up and tries to say something. He just punches her out of the way. Go yeah, away. Yeah, he literally, he throws her to the side and then just after it, he's like, we respect our women on our planet. They're part of our future. And it's like, well, you just, you just tossed yeah. her off camera. Like, I mean, what? not that one. She's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, she gets on my nerves a bit, but they're mostly oh. okay. Oh, goodness. Oh. Oh. I, I, I just like to point out, Sir uh, Joanna Lee did actually have a career, um, writing, producing, I, directing, acting. This was who played Tanner. Yeah. Well, well deserved. She seemed very good in it. I agree. She seemed like the one I would rather trust than Eros in his um, strange like, wrestler boots. I think. <laughs> yeah, she, um, she she got into a car crash in in the early sixties and then went over to the directing and writing and so. On. But, well, uh, yeah. there we go. Good. Oh, it's a little heavy. Except she's probably not. I mean, it's not uh, yeah, died in 2003. Well, in that case, I good looks not going to help you very much either. I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, I think we come back to the. These are films that have broadly the same message to send. They just go about it in quite different ways. <laughs> they do, yeah, I mean, the broad plot is stop fighting each other or you're going to end up endangering the broader picture. Or at the very least, stop developing these, these new sexy weapons. Mm. Mm. Just one goes about it by a show of um, power and compassion and the other goes about it by resurrecting the dead and terrorising one household. Uh, on the bo- both of these films have resurrection of the dead. <laughs> That's true. I keep forgetting hey, yeah. strange parallels. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I was a bit cruel at the beginning. I said we only watched one masterpiece. Um, I, I, I depends how you define masterpiece, but I would hand on heart say Plan Nine from Outer Space is. It stood the test of time. Everyone knows about it now. It's not some obscure film. It, it, it was for a while, but yeah. It was, yeah. I think it was, it was covered in the 80s as, as like the worst film ever, and that's what turned it into a cult classic. Before that, it it used to run on like primetime, uh, evening television, like on, you know, like public access or something. Oh, up until, so that's where it built up its cult following then, I guess. No, just before, no, it, like the, uh, it wasn't until the 80s when somebody made a joke of it that it became Uh, a cult classic. Yeah, but it was regarded as a flop for like 30 years. It is a kind of campy... I mean, you don't get much campier than those aliens, goodness me. Even, <laughs> even Rocky Horror, which is deliberately tongue-in-cheek camp, doesn't quite touch it. But, um, is I, it the worst film of all time? I mean, I know oh, good it heavens, clearly, no. it clearly is. Uh, it, it's, it's not even as bad as Shark in Venice. <laughs> uh, 
this is a real yeah. film, folks. Goodness me. <laughs> I mean, that's, a lot of bad films are... Mm, I don't know. As I get older and I have less time left on the planet, I more resent films that waste my time and either say something just the same as I've seen a hundred times before. Uh, I prefer very bad to banal, I guess. And this well, is so it, beautifully bad. It always has energy. That's that, that's why yeah. I forgive the rest of it. I've, I've seen films, many of them much higher budget films that just sit there and do nothing and say nothing and no, you know, clearly, you know, so, some, somebody fed the scriptomatic 17 marketable keywords uh, and, and every, everybody <laughs> is going through their parts and nobody really knows why. That reminds me. And this isn't that. New, the new Robocop, yeah, the original Robocop, <laughs> I am quite a fan of, but the new mm-hmm. Robocop, it's got all the same things. The robot guy, it's horribly disfigured, there's shooting this robot it's boring it's just hands down boring and that's how you make a film about that sort of thing dull i don't mm. know but i resent that to me that is a worse film than plan nine from outer space which um certainly doesn't outstay its welcome um despite the torturous dialogue um <laughs> and i i i uh yeah i enjoyed it yeah, I I don't think it's the worst. It depends how you define it. I mean, it's not by any standards a good film. Is it a masterpiece? I mean, this is just a semantic thing, isn't it? But would would you say it's a masterpiece, guys? Uh, mm. The budget was sixty thousand dollars in nineteen fifty nine, but you know. Okay. <laughs> All right, I I enjoyed the movie a lot. I don't usually watch movies multiple times. I could easily watch this one multiple times. Mm. But but for me, a masterpiece, some, something that needs, and this is just my own sort of definition, something mm. that needs to be a masterpiece, it, it's like when you watch it, you can't imagine the genre being done any different way because it's done so well, right? And it's sort of like yeah. what we were talking about with Tolkien before. Uh, this did not do that for the genre. It was like a, it was a, it was a, a dusty old hat for a few years and then somebody sort of made a joke of it and then people were like, oh yeah, it's, it's alright. Um, yeah. so I think it's not a masterpiece. Sorry, Ed. But I like it. I Sorry, watch it. Ed. I'll watch it again. Yeah. It's, it's entertaining, <laughs> but not a masterpiece. I mean, yeah. there, there, there are films yeah. you can watch just to mock and you can do that with this, but I, I, if it were just that, I don't think it would have the legs it does for me. There, there, there is where you can Feel see where he, heart where he almost it. gets it right. <laughs> oh, that's I, really charitable. <laughs> that's fair. I'm on the fence. I'm not sure I'm quite as generous as that. I, I genuinely feel it's so bad that it's good. And I could, I think you made a really good point, Sean. I, what I have said a few times in what my favourite films are are ones that I could finish and then just watch again straight away. And Plan 9 almost, but not quite, makes it there. So, hmm. oh, I've, I've got like, a quote, quote here from Gregory Walcott, uh, one of the leads. Uh, Ed had poor taste and was undisciplined. If he had $10 million, Plan 9 would still have been a piece of tasteless shit. I liked Ed Wood, but I could discern <laughs> a genius there. His main concern was making his next film. It looked like they shot the thing in a kitchen. Worst film wow. of all times. 30, 30 years later, it's come back to haunt me. <laughs> he was one of the actors in the film, was he? Yeah. Uh, he, Who was he? Uh, he is, hang on a sec, uh, Jeff Trent, the pilot. The pilot. Yep. Wow. All right, Jeff, your acting wasn't that great. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, do you know, okay. do you know how long it took to, um, write this screenplay, um, 
We didn't call it a masterpiece, a screenplay, a triumph. A triumph. This triumph, oh, a day? Less than two weeks. Less than two weeks. Yeah, that's how much time they spent on it. Mm -hmm. That's, um, (laughs) well. Yeah. It doesn't show, does it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, though. If it had been more polished... We would not be talking about it now, would we? We'd just think, what a crap film that was. Th- there are a lot of 50s SF films that don't have the energy of this, that don't have, that aren't as memorable as this. Yeah, there is something, I, I agree there's something about it. I, I feel the something is that it's just so bad. Um, but in a, in a fun way. Um, it's reminded me that I would like to run a, uh, and a very nerdy, sort of an atomic horror, um, role-playing game mm-hmm. at some point that I, I really would like to and I want to watch them again which was my favourite atomic horror of all time that, I like that's the one with the giant ants mm. that have become giant before ra- because of because of radiation um, but I don't well, know obviously. I like the investigative opening I vaguely remember they, they like they're like what why are these crooks raided a sugar factory again? And this, I just—I um, don't know. And it's, to me, it it builds nicely with with kind of various similitudes. In this kind of ridiculous situation, they react like you would if there were giant ants um, about to destroy mm-hmm. you. Um, oh, I got very fond memories of that. Maybe I shouldn't watch it again. Maybe it's much worse than I remember. Yeah, it, it wasn't directed by Bert I. Gordon. That's a point in its favour. I, I'm not familiar with the man, but I think you are ah. trying to make me familiar. With him. <laughs> um, have we anything more to say about Plan Nine uh, from Outer Space? There probably is more to be said, but that—that's all I got. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a, in a way, the problem with Plan Nine from Outer Space. So many people have said so many things about it that it's—it it's, feels redundant to put the boot in, but it's still fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Do you want a quick quick run through Top of the Bill in 1951? 1951, top ten films, let's hear it. Uh, so this was the year of Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah. Excellent. So Excellent. N- number ten, At War with the Army, uh, musical comedy, uh, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. Mm. Number no, I'm, nine, I'm not, not a huge fan of them. Number nine, A Place in the Sun. Uh, how, how would you describe that? Um, it brings a bell. Everybody's terribly unhappy. <laughs> Yeah. But, but it was a great <laughs> critical success. Uh, and commercial, by the sounds of it. Uh, number eight, An American in Paris, another musical, Gershwin. Um, okay. Jean Kelly, Leslie Caron, her film debut. I've seen none of these so far. <laughs> it's depressing. Uh, num- num- number seven, That's My Boy, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis again. Uh, in the same year? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get. I'm sorry. I, I, the, the, this I, is this I is the first time. Well. This, this is the first time they actually tried to play characters rather than just their nightclub act personas. This was regarded as remarkable. Uh, number six, the African Queen. Oh! All of a sudden, plunk. Here's a film I actually like. <laughs> now we're talking. John Huston, Humphrey Bogart. I think we all know how good my Humphrey Bogart impression is, so I'm not going to... Legendary. Don't, don't, don't tarnish the memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that film. Is that 51? I thought that was later. That's in colour, isn't it? It oh, is. Wow, okay. Uh, no, no, hang on. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's early colour, but... In my memory, it's in colour. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, at number five, A Streetcar Named Desire... Uh, I've never seen that. Directed by Elia Kazan. 
I'd like to. Not a fan of Tennessee Williams, but Marlon Brando could do the thing. So. Okay, I will. I will give it a try. No spoiler. I. I, I if we get back round to 1951, we'll do a streetcar name. <laughs> uh, number four, The Great Caruso, a bi- biopic of Caruso, who, uh, let me just check, uh, had died 30 years earlier, so, you know, it's time to take another look, I guess. That struck me, sorry, a slight aside, in the day the Earth stood still. They were nearly not quite equidistant between us in time from the Civil War. And our modern times. Mm. <laughs> uh, that no. just means I'm getting old, doesn't it? Does that mean anything? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's alternative. Uh, number three, David and Bathsheba. David uh, and Bath what? Bathsheba. Uh, I don't know that one. Biblical epic, basically. Ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, produced by Zanuck. Uh, Richard, no, I'm just reading about him because I'm inspired by our previous podcast. Daryl F. Zanuck. Oh, that'll be his dad because Richard Zanuck was a producer of Jaws. Number two, Showboat, another romantic musical comedy drama, etc. And number one, Quo Vadis, epic historical drama. Basically, last years of Nero and small. Well, drama, basically. Yeah, uh, I miss the old historical drama. There was a brief renaissance with Gladiator, and then it, they seem to have died off again. Well, they're, they're jolly expensive to make look good. Well, Edward would have made them look good. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, and, of course, because it's the 1950s, there's, there's the whole um, Christianity is going to take over, and that's a good thing angle. Oh, yeah, the robe. I like Richard Burton. So, <laughs> forgive the robe a lot. Um, but yeah, so that that uh, so, Coivardis was uh, twice as much as Showboat. Coivardis was about eleven million. The others were sort of three to five. Wow! And how had things changed by fifty nine? Do we know any from fifty nine? Uh, well, fifty nine, you get Ben Hur. Wow! Which outstrips. I mean, it, it's thirty six million, and the next one's under. It's under ten. Verily, uh, he is the son of God. Oh no, that's not Ben Hur. That's um, the Ten Commandments. Uh, films you might have heard of in 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 this uh, for fifty nine in the top ten. Uh, number nine, North by Northwest. Oh, can I do my quote? Can I do my quote? Go on. It, it's <laughs> the only role you'll be happy with is when I play dead. Your very next role, Mister Kaplan, it'll be most convincing, I assure you. <laughs> uh, number four, right. some like it Continu- hot. Oh, the best Classic. ending line of any film ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is, it's an exception. I, I, I usually say that if I get a feeling of the cast and crew are happy, um, I enjoy the film more, and that's the feeling I get from Sun Like It Hot, but by all accounts, everybody hated working with Marilyn, so. <laughs> okay, yeah, I have, apparently. I have to ask you, do you think the cast and crew were happy on Plan 9? I think they were happy to be paid. I, uh, they, they didn't seem that quite <laughs> Do you think they were happy on the day the earth stood still? I would feel they were entirely emotionless throughout the whole. Yeah, <laughs> emotionless. Wow. I, it, 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 it's, it's not a feeling I require to enjoy a film, but it, I will. I will forgive a lot if it's got that energy to it and that that sense of. Ah, yeah. uh, okay, all right. Uh, the the other one that somebody might have heard of, but 
possibly only me is Operation Petticoat, which is a um, World War II submarine comedy. Cary Grant, Tony Curtis. Who's in it? Cary Grant, Tony Curtis. It does ring a bell. I have heard of it. I haven't seen it. Uh, not that it's you know, terribly good or anything, but <laughs> some like it. I was reminded we've never had a Billy Wilder film on this podcast, which we should as soon as possible. I mean, he was dead since after we before we started. The, so fair enough. But... <laughs> Sorry, Billy. Well, it's not his fault. Uh, well, that's true. It's not my fault either. I don't know what I have to apologise for, but there we go. I'm doing it anyway. Well, there we go. Fifty-one, fifty-nine, atomic horror though these were both atypical in their way of 50s sci-fi I suppose but they were certainly influential on well I, I, I think the day the earth stood still was um, people just felt they couldn't imitate it right so they went down a different route and it took mm. until things like also rocket ship XM made a whole lot of money while being a lot cheaper to make than destination moon had been there are. There feels like there's a few first contact films now. What's that one where they're like squids? <laughs> 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 um, it's got what's the name in and um, him who's in Hawkeye. Goodness me! This Jeremy, is a Jeremy great. I, I think of Arrival. Please keep going. I'm thinking of Arrival. Thank you. It has Jeremy Renner in <laughs> and oh. What's her name? Who's very good in it? She's amazing, and I can't remember her name. It's not uh, for Emily Blunt. Keeps swinging, slim, swimming into my mind. It's not Emily Blunt, so that's not helpful to me. <laughs> Unless it is Emily Blunt, and I'm wrong. <laughs> it's not. It's Holly. No. No, it's um, Amy Adams. Amy Adams. There we go. I don't. They're in no way interchangeable. That's depressing. Though. That's a very good film. That's a first contact <laughs> film. Well, when, when when we get to 2016, maybe. I, I don't know it's a masterpiece I don't know what point I had there but that was the first contact <laughs> anyway, what, what, there we go. Do, do we know what we're going to look at next or do, do we need to think about it some more perhaps we should think about it because we're going to jump back to the present of what are we 1978 so, yeah we've done 78 so it's 79 oh goodness we're in the realm of like ugh, apocalypse now aren't we mm-hmm. um, sorry I don't know so, that. Then we might save that for, for a later Vietnam thorn we might have a Vietnam. Oh goodness me! It's still <laughs> Some, sometimes we're feeling far, wow. too, far too happy. Yeah, either that or just watch the deer hunter. That would be nice. <laughs> oh my God. All right, seventy nine to be confirmed. I feel like we probably should watch Apocalypse now if it's seventy nine. But we settled on Taxi Driver, and then I decided against. It. <laughs> so um, we'll not confirm or deny. Um, Shauna, thank you so much yeah. for being on our podcast. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's been lovely. And um, it only remains for me to say, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto.